This episode of Doing Disney, we focus on our first Studio Ghibli film, and what better way to start than the global sensation Spirited Away. Ding song guy. On this podcast, we let it go, because Hakuna Matata and the bare necessities will always be our guide to infinity and beyond. All it takes is faith, trust, and a little bit of pixie dust. We know that life is better under the sea, because on this podcast, we do Disney. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Kelly Meehan, and welcome to Doing Disney. I'm beyond excited today as we are discussing our first Studio Ghibli film, Spirited Away. I have my extra special guest with me, Albert Wiradama. Thank you for joining me today. Hi, Kelly. Thank you. I'm honored to be part of this show. Super excited to talk about Spirited Away. Now, Albert, when I asked you to be a special guest for this episode, we sorted dates, times, etc. And you messaged me with a very smart question, and it might be one other people are having as well. Kelly, why have you chosen a Studio Ghibli film when your podcast is about Disney? But of course, Disney had the distribution rights to Studio Ghibli for a very long time. So I'm exploiting that loophole because I have a real love and soft spot for the studio. So I'm not going to go into the history. There are other podcast books, articles that really cover that. I just want to get started talking about the film. So let's jump right in. Start at the beginning. Spirited Away, released in 2001, written and directed by Hiao Miyazaki. The film opens with Chihiro and her parents driving to their new home. They come across a mysterious tunnel which leads to an abandoned amusement park. But when Chihiro's parents eat the mysterious offerings, they are transformed into pigs. Suddenly, a river appears, blocking off the tunnel. Chihiro runs into a mysterious boy named Haku, who helps her to cross the bridge to the bathhouse for spirits. Chihiro begs for a job from the bathhouse manager Yubaba, who takes her name as payment and now calls her Sen. Chihiro works hard in the bathhouse and continues to prove herself and find out more about Haku. Along the way, she is followed by No Face and collects friendly spirits along her journey to free Haku from Yubaba who remembers he is the spirit of the Kohaku River and frees her parents as well. In the end, Chihiro walks back through the tunnel to continue her life. Tale as old as time. What are your first memories of the film? Um, I've known this film existed since forever. I've seen bits and pieces, but I've never really seen it in full till 2018, 2019. I can't remember exactly. There was a time I've decided to just watch all the Ghibli films. So I watch all of them mm-hmm. in chronological of release dates. So it took me a while to get to this film. Um, but it's just the wait was worth it just because the there's so many layers to this film. It's just so beautiful to watch. Um, so yeah, that 2018, 2019 was the first time. And I've seen it a couple of times since. So I'm very much in the same boat. As a, as a longtime anime fan, like this is when you know of, you know that poster and we have um, our channel SBS, which is our like world movies. So they would play Spirited Away quite often. So I'd always see it in the TV guide or the ads for it. But I held off watching because I knew this was like the studio that I really wanted to get into. I love that you did it in chronological order. I think that's amazing. <laughs> but um, I was very privileged. They did a re-release on the big screen in 2016. So that was the first time I'd just come back to Australia and they did it in September 2016, Spirited Away. I went, we still have my ticket. It's on my like little poster board. And I've just been in love with the studio. And Alad bought us the um, Hayao Miyazaki box set, the DVD box set. Uh So that started us on our journey of Ghibli and we're very much the same. Like then we've just collected them all and we love it. We went to um, 
the Ghibli Museum and we went to Japan. So oh, that's, that's just, so cool. It, oh, it's amazing. So I just love Spirited Away, definitely special place in my heart. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if I may ask, I'm curious, when you watch it the first time, did you watch it in the Japanese version of language or the English dub? So <laughs> this, <laughs> there is always a big thing online, subs over dubs, but I tend to be someone who goes for the dub version and i think a lot of the ghibli ones they have fantastic voice casts mm -hmm. so that is where i think the disney distribution rights plays in favor because you have a lot of big names mm -hmm. doing these films what do, how about you did you watch subs or dubs first uh the first time around i watched it uh in the japanese uh version with the subs in english mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and yeah over rewatch i watch in dub as well the last most recently for this show, I watch it in dub just to take notes because it's easier that way. Uh, <laughs> yes. But yeah, it's both both versions are really good. So can't complain there. There's no wrong choice. It's my favorite part because you'll see. Albert, what are some of your favorite scenes from the film? So one of my favorite scene is sort of early in the film right after the morning right after Chihiro or Sen our protagonist got the job from the bathhouse the morning after Haku wakes her up and tells her hey I'm gonna take you to your parents and after that the Haku reminds her of her name and then she just started crying because she forgets her name and she just started welling up crying while eating a rice bowl and that whole sequence is so beautiful and wholesome the combination of the music by Joe Hishaishi, uh, the scenery, and this the scene with the flowers prior to that, it's just everything crescendos to that moment and it's so beautiful. Just because again, like the very over-the-top uh, tears that's swelling up on her oh, face, yeah. as well as everything leading up to that moment, it's everything we've seen already. We see the bathhouse, but we see it in reverse. Like nothing happened, but just following her up to that moment and it's just, it just crescendos to such a emotional scene. It definitely is an emotional scene in the film. I really like how you touch on those flowers. You're running through the flowers. And the animation is so fast paced. Mm -hmm. And then it just slows down. Oh, the over the top tears. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Very anime, big tears, big bawling. And I love that you bring up the score because um, the one summer day scene that is like, yep. I, I use Chihiro and Sen interchangeably, I tend to, because mm -hmm. she goes by both names in the film, mm -hmm. so I'm going to use both. But with um, Chihiro remembering her name, you hear that piano melody start kicking in and the tears. It's it's, it's beautiful. This is a great scene. Um, two that really stand out for me, both very bathhouse-based, that, that's because that tends to be my favourite parts of the film is the bathhouse. In a way of like how insects in the city, the city is a character, I feel that way with this film, like the bathhouse is as much as the character in the film. So the first scene is in the boiler room. Chihiro's run down the steps to the bathhouse and comes to the boiler room. And what I love is the positioning of the characters and the use of space. So we're introduced to Kamaji. He, uh, what an absolute iconic design. He's sitting in front of the boiler. You're just seeing him illuminated by the fire. All his arms are moving in different jars, different drawers, creating all these mystical herbal remedies, potions, bath, water, all that type of thing. And then you have Chihiro entering on the right-hand side. So I love that still of those two in the one shot together. I think it's wonderful. And just, as I said, those legs moving, it's just mesmerising. Chihiro begs for a job, but Kamaji won't give her one because he has his soot sprites 
And so, mm -hmm. of course, I love that throwback from Totoro. You would have seen if you're watching Chronological yep. Order, you've already seen the St. Sprites. Uh, what an absolute iconic Ghibli character design and a little bit of a mascot. So I love that callback. And Chihiro is just so persistent. She won't take no for an answer. Give me a job. Give me a job. Kamaji's pushing her away. But as soon as Lin comes in, it's like, that's my granddaughter. Like, he's so protective of her. And mm -hmm. I really like to see characters like that. Like, Kamaji's such a gentleman. He's just an amazing one. And so we see him bribe Lin with a newt to take Chihiro on her win. And then that's where we really get the start of the movie, I think. So this scene, I think, is just so important. And it's more quiet because it's taking place in the boiler room. There's not a lot of sound. It's just that fire roaring and the um, ingredients being rolled out. So what are your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, no, I absolutely agree, especially with the introduction to Kamaji. Like you said, incredible character design. And there's so many great character design in uh, in this mm -hmm. film. And just a smaller subset of that scene that takes place when uh, she's wanting to help out one of the suit sprites, and then the other suit sprite just drop the what, the coal, is it, on itself? Just yeah. To, just to pretend everything. <laughs> that whole thing is so cute. Uh, but yeah, that you're right. That that scene, that scene is great. Introduction to two of my favorite characters right there. So yeah. Uh, I love that you don't take other people's jobs. That's yeah. what she says to her because mm -hmm. you see her just. Um, I, I like that we're getting that development of the character where we see her persistence. She won't take no for an answer, and then she just starts doing the job. Like that is a great young female character taking it upon herself to do the work, and I love to see that. We see that in a lot of Miyazaki films. We've got strong female protagonists, and we're definitely getting that best character here. Are there any other scenes that stand out to you? The the scene that I. When you think about this film, you think about the train scene, and that that scene is just great. Again, like I like I mentioned earlier, a lot of nothingness happened, yet yeah. it exemplifies in this particular scene because it's just no face and Chihiro and uh, the baby who's turned into the mouse as well as the <laughs> small bird. They're just they're just sitting in the train for like I think of I want to say three four minutes, and it's just music playing and like. Usually in other films, people might just cut that and get to the get to the chase. And this one is just like we're just sitting there and enjoying, um, just in between this sequence of just this particular moment. I thought that's a that's a good scene. I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head of what makes Miyazaki such a captivating filmmaker is that he takes pleasure in the space. He gives you time to breathe. He lets you sit in the scenery because another one of my quick ones is um, I feel a lot of peace and warmth in the scene after that in Zaniba's house when they're having tea, eating cake, spinning thread. Mm. Miyazaki lets you take pleasure in household tasks and spending time with family and really getting back to what is important within your household. And so I, I think those two scenes play together really well, absolutely taking time in that quiet moment. The sixth station, I think, is the piece of music that's yep. playing behind <laughs> that train and, oh, it's beautiful. Another scene I want to talk about is a big turning point in the film I think, when the stink spirit enters the bathhouse. I love this whole sequence. We get Yubaba, she senses that something's coming and we find out it's a stink spirit. So we just see this blob-like creature oozing its way over the bridge, through the town, into the bathhouse. All the other workers, no, we're closed, we're closed, get out of here. And we already see that Sen and Lin uh, have been tasked with cleaning one of the harder tubs. They've been trying to scrub it. Sen has been trying to get um, oh, the, the tokens and No Face has gifted her with a lot. Mm -hmm. So she's got that up her sleeve. But we see her 
trying to pull the rope to fill the tubs and having those difficulties. So when the stink sprite comes in, the stink spirit comes in, everyone's waiting to see how she's going to handle it and waiting for her to fail. And I like that we get to see our characters set up for a difficult task and use skills that they've developed in a previous challenge to overcome that then. So she's able to get the token up to get the uh, herbal refill down. She's able to pull the rope that, you know, Lynn was making fun of her. You can let go now. She's able to get yeah. that. She feels the the thorn in the side and Yubaba hones in on that, throws her the rope and everyone comes together, pull, 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 and they pull a bicycle out. And then all of a sudden it's like, a horrible analogy, but like when you pop a pimple, like everything else just starts coming out of out of the stink sprite, all this muck and everything. And that's also Miyazaki giving us that environmental message about pollution and how we've diluted the rivers with just all this junk and how much better it is when we can look after our environment and purify it. So I think the scene super important. What are your thoughts on this one? Uh, I definitely agree. I also have that stink spirit scene in, in my notes yeah. here. Uh, and Fun fact, actually, I've, I read this a while ago. I can't remember exactly the, the exact thing, but that scene is actually based on Hayao Miyazaki's real life experience when he was younger. He was cleaning up a river and he literally found a bicycle. And so he type he he and a couple of his friends just tie up a rope and just pull it. And like afterwards, like lots of fish came in and become clean because it was like a such polluted river. So um, yeah, that's that, that's based on his real life experience. So I thought that's a a cute a cool note right there um and also prior to the scene uh i believe everyone all of the other characters in the bathhouse still pretty much they dislike chihiro they dislike sen and then yes. sort of after this scene sort of a lot of them are opening up to her yeah you know she's 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 pretty cool and at the end of the film obviously they're all rooting for her when she gets released uh from uh by yubaba but yeah I, that that scene is I think right in the middle of the movie and it's it's yes. a, it's a it's a great moment. Oh, absolutely agree. And then that also sets up our next plot point because after the um river spirit has been cleansed, he gives her the the medicine from the river mm -hmm. spirit, that little ball, and then leaves the gold. And I think that's also what makes everyone start to like to hear her a bit more is that everyone's been blessed with all this gold that's that's happening through the bathhouse now. And then that also leads up to one of the frog-like workers coming back looking for the gold and the no-face being there. So then we get all that plot points start to happen. So I, mm -hmm. I do like this scene right in the middle of the film. And also we get to see so much more of the bathhouse. I love the scenes where they're walking through the bathhouse and you're hearing that wood flooring. I find that very soothing, like the feet mm -hmm. on the wood flooring, walking through, seeing all this beautiful ornate gold, red, all these big vibrant colours. And then that gets contrasted when you look at the outside, like there's those scenes where Chihiro's climbing up the ladder or walking along the stairs and how like stained and rusted all the outside is. So, so emblematic of like this beautiful house on the inside, but not so maintained on the outside. Very interesting. Mm -hmm. Are there any other scenes in your notes that you'd like to bring up? the the scene where she remembers who haku is that she's oh, the, yeah. the kohaku river again yeah. um, the callback to the big tears just swelling up over the top tears <laughs> uh it visually it looks great and just a very very sweet moment and there's also like the sound design of like it's like glass breaking i'm not sure what it is when the scales oh, yeah. of, the, of uh, the dragon kohaku itself that sounds like a uh, pretty cool um yeah, that I thought. I thought that scene, that scene, a, a good climax to the film, as well as skipping ahead a little bit. The part 
at the very end where Haku just mentioned, now go and don't look back. Just sort of yeah. like that, that whole moment. So, yeah. I think them falling through the sky and Chihiro saying, you were the Kohaku River, don't you remember? Like, and them spinning around and him turning out of the dragon. I think it's absolutely beautiful. We do get some very good Ghibli falling out the sky moments for some reason. It yeah. tends to be a great trope, but that's a very special one. As you said, them like holding hands and the big tears coming out of Chihiro's mm -hmm. and having the theme of identity throughout the film being so important and this being the developments yeah. we're getting the environmentalism of i can't remember who i am because they've dried up my river and built apartments which is very plus, sad <laughs> oh, so sad yeah, she cannot plus uh with uh, remember who you are and it's very funny because that's the message that haku had been giving sen throughout the film and then it's his turn to come to that realization i think it's a great way to wrap up the film absolutely definitely agree with that you ain't never had a friend like me Let's talk about some favorite characters. Who stands out to you in the film? Yeah, you mentioned both of them earlier on uh, <laughs> happened to be introduced in the same scene. Lin and Kamaji are two of my favorites. I think because Lin's sort of like a big sister kind of character yeah. to Chihiro and Kamaji, like you said, like the grandpa character. And they're just both, they're rough at rough towards her in the very beginning because they don't <laughs> want to like, okay, I don't want to deal with you right now. But then they show their compassion and care to help her in her journey. Um, and I think that's what makes me resonate and like them the most uh, just because of that compassion that they both show. I wholeheartedly agree. These are the two that stand out to me as well. Let's touch on Kamaji first. I've already spoken about when we first meet him and that design. I mean, it's amazing. But as mm -hmm. you said, how caring he is, how he just jumps in with this is, I think you said my granddaughter, but instead of turning her in. And then um, in that scene later on, we don't get a lot of Kamaji, but the scenes we get him in are so key because later on we have Chihiro and Haku falling through into the boiler room and Kamaji helping uh, Chihiro cleanse Haku of the little black slug that was mm -hmm. being yep. making big control by you, Baba. And then, of course, selflessly, you said care and compassion. I think selfless is another word. Giving mm -hmm. Chihiro his tickets he's been saving for 40 years mm -hmm. to give to her to save Haku, I think is lovely. Like, just what an absolute gentleman. Any other thoughts on Kamaji? Um, the only thing is that I wish we saw a bit more of him. Like you said, we only yeah. see him in the opening and then that scene uh, with the ticket helping Haku and everything. I just wish we see a little bit more again because of the character design is just very it's fair it's fair because he's just maintaining all the boiler room and while with all his yeah. arms uh so yeah let's chat about lynn lynn i think makes the feel for me what are some things you like about her uh again that that like the big sister kind of thing just protecting her and help helping her out um mm. and also yeah i mean just just that overall overall vibe uh there's a particular scene related to food again when they're just sitting mm on the balcony outside of on their... the balcony yeah. yes and and them just talking uh yeah i just i just really like the dynamic between lynn and Chihiro. i agree so i love that you asked me about um if i've watched the dub version because susan egan is just one of my absolute most favorite voices mm. ever whether it's lynn megara gina from porco rosso or rose Quartz from steven universe like this is my most favorite voice she just has a such distinct line delivery and tends to play these characters that are so sassy yet caring 
And being able to toe the line between the two is incredible. So as I said, Lynn just makes a film for me. She takes Chihiro under her wing, looks out for her. There's something very true to life um, when it's Chihiro's first night and she's crying and Lynn just rubs her back and says, the new girl's not doing so well. And if you've yeah. ever been in a schooling or employment that's similar to um, boarding arrangements, I think that is a very familiar scene you have seen in real life. So, mm -hmm. again, I love that Miyazaki really touches on these true-to-life, real-life moments. Um, as, as I said as well, I also love the two of them eating the food on the balcony. That that's, um, setting is beautiful. You get, you, you're seeing the back of them looking outwards and you're mm -hmm. seeing this beautiful blue scenery okay. just like that we're getting different designed shots of the two of them and just taking that moment to have peace because obviously they both work really hard Chihiro's a great worker she gets into it straight away Lynn's showing her the ins and outs Lynn's obviously been there for a very long time because she knows everyone she knows how the bathhouse runs and it's one of these characters that just can't escape her circumstances you know, she, she talks about how she longs to get on the train and she just wants to get out of there. So mm -hmm. I've always been drawn to sassy side characters that are just getting through each day, waiting for a better life. Any other thoughts on Lynn? Uh, yeah, there, there's a quote that Lynn said uh, that exemplifies the sassiness that you said. Uh, I'm also protective uh, when they're about to ride the train, Chihiro and No Face. No Face is following Chihiro and yeah. Lynn is like, No Face, if you even put one scratch on that girl, you're in big trouble. Uh, I don't know why. Maybe this is a line delivery, but that one is just like, uh, it's it's a very cheeky yet very protective line. And I, I, I like that and it resonates with me. I agree. That sums up Lynn. That sums up Lynn right there. It's fantastic. Let's talk on our main protagonist, Chihiro Sen. What are your thoughts about her? She is a... I have a hard time trying to wrap my mind around her character because definitely she started off very naive, very innocent. And this film, just the overall tone of this film is very sad in a way because, again, she lost... Hayao Miyazaki's almost all his film, I think, is like coming of age uh, yeah. in nature. And it's the, the loss of that innocence throughout the whole journey. The change of Chihiro from being very naive, kind of annoying initially, and then become very dependent, very able, capable to do everything on her own. And just that loss of innocence, really, of growing up from being yeah. that 10-year-old girl in the opening of the film. Um Again, I think I think the journey the journey is great, uh, but yeah, that that change is sort of I don't know if sad is the right word. Maybe it's just because of the whole tone of the film, but the gone of that innocence is what I keep thinking about when I think of that character. Absolutely, I, I I'm very much in the same boat. This is a hard character to wrap around because there's not a lot that's overly distinct about her. I think the design of her in that pink, um, her work clothes on the back, brown background of the poster looking to the side, like when I think of Tahira, that's what I think straight away is that poster um, because that's signifying like the global breakthrough of the film was seeing this poster everywhere. But there's just not a lot to her. She's a girl who's very sad about changing schools. And then uh, for me, we see her too fixated on Haku throughout the film. That bothers me at times. So I prefer the times where she's 
being independent and learning to take on tasks. And when she's just being very kind, I like when she's, I'll come back and play with you to the babies and, yep, I'll look after you and puts things in her pocket or the scenes with no face. I tend to prefer those ones than the ones where she's like, where's Haku? What about Haku? That part tends to bother me a little bit. So seeing more of her own personality traits come through and, as you said, that journey, I, it is, Haku's like basically a plot device, let's be real. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Rather than a character, because a lot of it is now I've got to fix Haku, then go into the neighbors to give back the seal, and I want to apologize for that. So it's I, f- I find it quite mixed as, as a main character. Yeah, I I I definitely I definitely agree with that. Uh, with the comment again, or with Chihiro's relationship with Haku as well, I kind of enjoy more of the moments where she's dealing with. I guess everything that's not really really Haku. Don't get me wrong. I I still like some of moments that there are between those two, yes. but like you said, the moments where she is outside of everything related to Haku, it just shows more of her character, really. Yes. Yeah. Very great. Let's talk about Haku. Okay. Uh, great great design. Like. In, in both forms. I like that you get those transformations, but definitely I love that dragon form. And, of course, it's very um, iconic of Sen riding Haku through the sky. And I, I love all that. But what are your thoughts on Haku as a character? Let's start, let's start with the design. Like you said, the design the design is great and just the dragon, uh, mm. of the, the river spirit and everything. I have seen this painting before. I don't know if it's related at all, but there is a, I've seen a painting of like a white dragon that's like flying towards Mount Fuji. And it's sort mm. of like, okay, that sort of that sort of reminds me of Haku. And I just thought, oh, that's that's a cool mm-hmm. reference. I don't again, I don't know if it's related at all. Um and in terms in terms of the character of Haku, um again, <laughs> I am I'm mix, I am mix it, I'm mix yeah. regarding the character of how how I feel. There are part of me that thinks that yeah, it's it's a plot device, part of me it's sort of like his helping her out in her journey mm. but yeah it doesn't let's just say he's not my f- like my favorite character in the film i don't hate him it's just the character does doesn't really do much for me i'm yeah very much in the same boat sometimes he's just there and then other times he's in some of the most key important scenes so it's very funny because we've talked about that very emotional scene and then of course the ending and then them mm. falling through the skies. So yeah, it's, it, I've got mixed feelings as well. There is one scene I want to bring up though. It's um, one funny, but not really funny moment. It's funny to me. When Chihiro is trying to give Haku the river spirit medicine, that is extremely relatable because if you've ever had to pry open the jaws of a pet and throw medicine down their throat and hope it reaches their stomach, that's just all I was thinking the whole time. I'm like, yep. Been there. <laughs> yeah, that that's true. Um, and also a part a part of Haku's character that I sorta like is that we don't really know throughout the film. At least again, if you're watching it for the first time, you don't really know if he's supposed to be good or he's if he's bad because they sort of draw him in both. He's helping out uh, Chihiro, but then he's working for Yubaba. So like you yeah. don't really you don't really know what's going on there. And yeah, I mean, upon yeah. the rewatch, you and you understand more and everything. But yeah, that that's sort of being in the dark kind of thing. Yeah, I'll piggyback off of that because a lot of what we find out about Haku is his opinion, his, the opinion of him of others. Because Lin's always like, "Oh, mm. don't worry about him. He's working for you, Baba." 
Other people are like, why you like Haku? He's like, he's bad. But then, of course, we've been seeing him help her. So that conflict between what we're being told and what we're being shown is very interesting. Any other characters stand out to you? Yubaba and Zeniba, because they're pretty much there design-wise, they are the same. And it's sort of like <laughs> it's sort of like two sides of a coin, like one is bad, one of one is good kind of thing. So that contrast, I I really, I really like that. So on that point, let's let's swing back to that when we talk about how evil is the villain. We'll get okay. into those okay. two later on. Listen well, all of you. Uh Albert, what's your favorite quote from the film? Uh, my favorite quote is just talking about Zeniba. Uh, it's a quote from her when it's in the swamp. It's once you've met someone, you never really forget them. It just takes a while for your memories to return. Uh, I this quote stick with me the most upon this most recent rewatch. Prior to this rewatch, I there's like lots of like one liners that are kind of funny, but like this quote just like it just sticks with me, and I, I just have to highlight that. It's beautiful. It's very sentimental, very Miyazaki type of quote. Very true. Anything that you can take. Sometimes I think animation gets a little looked down on for being so childlike, but then you get moments like that where it's very pertinent to your life. Like you can take things like that away. And I think that is beautiful sentiment. Great quote. I've gone the other side of the quote. I've gone the other side. I've gone the funny one-liner. I can't not pick a Lin quote because I love Susan Egan so much. So the line that made me giggle was, Two hakus. I can barely stand one. <laughs> I don't know why. That one just gets me. It's a lot of the delivery. I like. I think your quote is much more emblematic of the film. But I like those quippy that we do get those quippy one-liners because, as you said, like the film can be kind of sad or very melancholy throughout. So I like when um, we get a bit of levity in there as well. Any other quotes that stand out to you? Not on top of my head right now, but to uh, to back you up again, just the contrast of there is that the the film is sad, but there is so much hopeful nature to the yeah. film, which is backed up with the music, and because the music is very hopeful and everything, um, and it it just works in that balance of this whole film. Again, like you said, most animated film people think it's like oh, it's for children, but this film is like pretty. It's pretty dark right off the bat. Like when you first see the spirits come out, those are pretty scary and like no face. Uh, the character mm -hmm. design is like pretty scary and everything. So it's a Hayao Miyazaki just balancing that's pretty great. One song. I have put one song. I love that you bring up the score because that's my next question. What are your thoughts on the score and soundtrack? I absolutely love it. Um, I don't think there is a bad Joe Hishaishi score. I love pretty much all his score. I cannot decide if I if this is my favorite of his <laughs> music because I I love the score for House Moving Castle for Totoro for Kiki's Delivery Service, but just the main the main theme of this uh, One Summer Day, which is in the opening, is very it's just very iconic. Uh, and the scene that I mentioned earlier on when she's eating the rice ball and crying her eyes out, uh, that is the Bathhouse Morning. That's that's the name of the track. That scene that the music also is like. Again, very hopeful, very sad, and it's it's just it's just great. Like the piano and everything. I mean, 
I agree. There's not one Joe Hiyashi score that I don't enjoy. And this one is just absolutely breathtaking. And I agree. The piece that stands out is definitely One Summer Day. We hear it at the start of the film with Chihiro in the back of the car, looking at her flowers, feeling sad about leaving her friends. So we're getting that little bit of leitmotif, like this is Chihiro's theme, this is what we're going to feel mm-hmm. when we're having moments of Chihiro questioning herself, questioning her identity, who am I, where am I going, those feelings of growing up even. So I like that that's really tied to it. And it comes through so strongly in the exact scene you mentioned as well when we have Senator Haku and she remembers that her name is Chihiro, when we hear mm-hmm. Chihiro, we hear that thing start to play again. So it's melancholy and wistful and it's such a simple melody but beautiful. Um, the other piece is one we've talked about as well, uh, the Sixth Station, the yeah. amazing train scene to Zenebas. What are your thoughts on this one? Yeah, no, uh, I think, again, one of the things that make that scene work so well outside of just the amazing visuals and just the sitting in that moment, literally, uh, is the music that just backs, that just backs it up um, put you in a moment of like ease in a bit yeah. after everything that just happened. Cause prior to that, literally she's running around the bathhouse being chased by no face. And then you had a time to just sit down and just sort of take, take it all in, you know? Absolutely. It's a time to breathe. It's a time to reflect. We have that beautiful scenery of that blue and the train tracks and it's so sparse. Mm-hmm. So the music matches that sparsity and just gives you a moment's peace and reflection. And it's just so so quiet. Oh, I love it. This um, the Hiyashi and Miyazaki relationship gives me William Spielberg vibes, where like those are just yeah. two creatives that really can come together and create something wonderful. Is there any other score and soundtrack that really stands out to you? Um, yeah, I think again we talk about the hopeful nature of the score, but there are also very some haunting. I don't know if haunting mm. driver, but it's like creepy scores with like the spirits. The Sting Spirit music was like sort of like um like a monster coming towards you as well. It's like the yeah. no face music as well. It's like very, it's, there's like a creepy, there's like a creepy vibe to it. Like, um, and yeah, just that, the contrast of that, those two music and it worked really well in just in the whole film. Absolutely. I think, oh, that scene, we, did, we didn't touch on it, but it definitely freaks me out with no face chasing Chihiro through the, the bathhouse and that, and that score to back it up. Um, it brings that intensity absolutely mm-hmm. so that creepy intensity this is your badness level how evil is the villain you mentioned you Baba and Zaniba before what are your thoughts on these two so when you asked me uh as uh, initially about this how evil is the villain I it took me some time to sort of process it because based on memory she's like okay she just she i don't think she's that evil but then after watching it again she's like yeah she's kind of the evil in her is like just her greed and just wanting to keep her forever like keeping haku and everything and taking their name um and then the more the more i uh read into it it's it's interesting how this is sort of like a reflection and i think hayao miyazaki did this on purpose of like the the film explores the greediness of like Western consumerism on traditional Japanese culture, uh, as exemplifies in the bathhouse and everything. And like Yubaba's design is like very European decor and everything uh, in in, Yubaba, in Yubaba's room compared to the very Japanese traditional uh, bathhouse and everything. So that if, if that's what he's trying to say, painting Yubaba as just like this Western greed, that's like sort of destroying traditional Japanese culture. I thought that's a very interesting take on it. Um, 
And yeah, I guess it's like, I don't know if evil is the right word, it's, but it's like sort of corruption. And so yes. that's, that's sort of very much throughout this whole film, like we see with the character of No Face as well, being corrupted by this whole bathhouse and everyone working there. So yeah, what, what do you think? Oh, absolutely. Like Yubaba, what a character. The the design is first and foremost what I think when I think of this character because she's it's it's fantastical because she's mostly just a face. It's big face, you get those big eyes and the nose and the hair and so much face, such little body. But it's mm-hmm. it's fantastical in design but just tethered enough to reality that it's not uncanny because mm. she still has human features. Just when you when there's that scene where she flies over the desk and it's not at your hero, it's at the audience and it is terrifying. Hmm. She launches over that desk at us and the dress is billowing, she's coming at you and she lands next to your hero. And when you look at those two side by side, they're the same height, but Yubaba is just all face. So she's hmm. just so interesting. And I agree, I had the exact same thoughts. Is she really a villain? That's just how I've titled the segments, but I agree it's the corruption and the greed when she's signing the contract the letters fly up and Yubaba catches it and she's taking names and identities which mm-hmm. is such a fantastical concept instead of taking being greedy for money which of course she is because we see her counting jewels and money and whatnot but just greedy to own people just to have as much as she can um what are your thoughts on her and everything with her baby that's that's a thinker because um, I the relationship it's it's sort of a funny relationship because it's on paper I don't know it just, it just it's uh, just the character itself it's two different two very drastic character designs and yeah. the part where she doesn't even realize it's her baby um, yeah because the baby got turned into the mouse I I I like the relationship and how especially the baby grow in in terms of character at the very end it's like if you uh if you hurt her then i'd i, I forgot the yeah. exact line but yeah the baby said don't hurt sand mom yeah. yeah yeah i find a lot of this those scenes don't hit for me uh i find they they drag the film down just a little bit i could have done without it but at least we're getting a bit of a difference to um yubaba we're getting different sides of her personality you know we see right, her right. gushing over the child and then we show we're showing that she has a bit of a weakness as well so i like to see that mm-hmm. You mentioned before about Yubaba and Zaniba being two different sides of the coin, like one's good, one evil. But I always forget that when we meet Zaniba, it's when she's the paper form yeah. and that yeah. she's trying to kill Haku. Like, yeah. <laughs> so what are your thoughts on Zaniba as a character? Yeah, it's sort of, it's it's almost like, because this film is sort of, what is it? Like a dream, not a dream sequence, but there's lots of comparison of this film to like Alice in Wonderland and like Wizard of Oz. Yes. And so... Yes. When I think about Zeniba and Yubaba, a little bit, not not as because they're different, but a little bit of like is sort of the wicked witch of the West, wicked witch of the West, and like the good the good witch from Wizard of Oz. Absolutely. Think, again, because they're both like witches too. So, uh, but yeah, like you said, the first time we see her, because we don't we don't know too that that's her because they look the same, and, they, and he was trying to kill Haku. So yeah, it's I mean. They they both look the same. I think that's like part that's part of the thing. It's like you cannot really you cannot really tell just based just based on appearance, right? Which again, a big theme of this film, like you said, identity and just not knowing 
sort of like the stink spirit again. People just like running away from it. Turns out it's a good river spirit. You cannot really tell based on appearance at first sight. So yeah. Absolutely. I, and I do like that we get those scenes later in Zaniba's house. Um, call me granny and looking after him being like, we get to see that that personality changes just because Haku's stolen the seal, you know, that Zaniba was there and instigating um, conflict with Haku. But a very when I first saw the film, I really did not know how to take. And, and again, it comes down to like what we're being told and what we're seeing versus what we're being shown. So you're seeing Zaniba in a bad light to start. And then so when they've gone to the house, even I think it's Kamaji's going, oh, you're going to Zaniba's, that's brave. You know, mm-hmm. we're being told to fear these people so that when you go to the house and she's just like your grandma that's there spinning yeah. bread and making kickers, want to give you cake and food and everything. And I think the way she responds to No Face as well is interesting because throughout the film, obviously, everyone's been pushing No Face away and Zaniba's complimenting him, praising him. You spin thread so well, everything mm-hmm. like that. I, I like seeing that contrast in characters great. Yeah, um, I definitely agree. The only, the only sort of thing about Zaniba that it doesn't really work for me is as she sort of. You mentioned Haku being a plot device. I thought Zaniba was also sort of like a plot device just to push this the story forward at that point because she just appears in the middle of she appears in the middle of the film and then at the very end, and yeah, just had to sort of daze ex machina everything a little bit. But yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me too much, but it's just the one thing that yeah, I just want to mention. Absolutely. Any random thoughts, anything we haven't touched on yet? A big one for me is the animation. Uh, I thought I thought the animation is beautiful, like you said. The just the water sequence in the train and everything else when we see in the balcony again that waters that water animation looks beautiful. The animation with the flowers that we mentioned in the beginning is great. And the the design, the design of the bathhouse and the design of the Outside of the bathhouse, the part, the place with all the restaurants and all the food, um, yeah. it just it just looks great. You can tell that Hayao definitely took inspiration from real life and real places that he's been to. And in in tangent with the design of the animation, just the character designs, they're also unique. We, we talk about Kamaji, um, obviously No Face is iconic. I think probably if you've never seen Spirited Away, you probably have seen No Face and you know what it is. Uh, the radish spirit. I like the design of the radish. Yes, spirit. me too. Yeah, uh, and like the la- the lamp in the swamp, the one that greets you, uh, the one that greets Shihiro. I thought I I like that character design as well. So yeah, all the all the character designs of all the different spirits and everything. It's just so unique. Um, and so yeah, I couldn't. I don't even know how he come up with all those designs. It just looks. It all looks great. I have that in my notes as well. The various spirits, the different spirit bathhouse workers, because it's really funny. Everyone makes fun of Chihiro for being human. You know, they can smell her and she's different. But then Lin has very human features and some yeah. of them do, whereas other ones are frog-like people or just some like mis- mismatch of, of design, which I find so interesting. The radish one also is one that stands out to me. I love that they use the offshoots of the radish for like his facial features, like he's got almost got, like a mustachey beard sort of thing and it's just the offshoots of the radish is great. The ducks in the bath, so cute. I feel like mm. that's a really big one, the little ducks and whatnot. But, yeah, I agree that the character design and how you come up with that is brilliant. And and even, like, the more simpler characters, sort of, like, when the parents turn to the pigs, the pig is, like, pretty... It's, it's more like a boar. It's, it's sort of horrifying. It's pretty scary. 
of just uh, the whole the whole sequence reminds me a little bit of Pinocchio and the donkey scene. Uh, but yeah, it's just like <laughs> simple. Just it's, it's just a pig, but it, he he makes them is make them huge and like very. I mean, it, it makes sense why Chihiro would run away. I would too at that at that scene if I was her. So yeah. I 100% agree because I had this thought when I was sitting in the cinema watching it because it's on the big screen as well. So these are big giant pigs I'm seeing in front of me and it just really took me aback because they're animated so realistically. They're squealing and they just aren't cartoonified, whereas I'm used to like Disney pigs. I'm used to, you know, like a, a cute porky pig or Wilbur from Charlotte's <laughs> Web. You know, I'm used to that kind of design, whereas yeah, yeah, this yeah. is real the long pointy snouts and the, the teeth and whatnot. So, yeah, very much. The other thing is like um, if you hadn't seen Princess Mononoke, which if you're watching Chronological, you have, but when Haku is there and bleeding out, I'm like, whoa, that is intense that you're really seeing a bit of that gore come through. No, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, and, again, just lots of visually, lots of scary moments. Like you said, the blood, um the whole sequence when no face just transforms into the monster looking creature and like after the medicine it just starts puking everything as well just chasing her that that is like something out of a nightmare um but yeah like you said it's the lots of lots of gore scary moments as well yeah we haven't touched much on that no face scene but like i love Mm -hmm some of the memes that came out of this film as well. It's like um, when everyone's giving him the banquet of food, it's no face like waving his arms in the air like it's food. Like I send that one to Alan a lot. Or there's the scene where Chihiro's running down the hallway and she's a bit blurry and no face is chasing her. It's like mm-hmm. me when I'm trying to get my, my cat's attention. I love that. But that scene, definitely terrifying. And yeah. we have that he's already... Um, ingested the little frog worker so he's speaking with the frog voice and i find that terrifying what are your thoughts on this scene yeah it's definitely terrifying and just the frog voice and also the design you sort of the lake sort of like a frog looking creature so yeah. it's sort of it, it, he not terraforms he sort of like transforms himself <laughs> into the design of the characters that he consumes um and yeah just the whole I, I'm curious if there is any deeper meaning towards it. Again, I mentioned the idea of like if this is so if this is an exploration of the post-World War II Japan and how the Western influence affects mm-hmm. it. And like No Face, his he tries to he tries to win the approval of Chihiro with the goal, mm-hmm. but when Chihiro doesn't want to, he's sort of like not not really a tantrum. But then the other character that he interacts with are all the bathhouse worker and they just keeps giving him everything and he sort of become greedy in a way and become just a bigger bigger and bigger monster and then again at the very end we go to Zaniba he's sort of more calm so just being taken out of that environment so yeah that it no face doesn't really have a character per se but it's sort of just like an all-absorbing Thing of the environment around him, sort of like sort of like a, a kid, you know, like when when a kid, yeah. a kid just takes in everything. They just try, uh, they adapt to their environment. So, yeah, it's a interesting concept. I agree, especially because like everyone's kept him out, and Chihiro's let him in, so he's the one that Chihiro is bonding to, and he is he's seeking her approval, he's seeking her attention. So, no face being that black shadow with the face, I think he can look into it and take what meaning you want because there's definitely other personal meaning I take from no face but 
it, it is definitely being uh, affected by the environment. So I find that character fascinating. Is there anything else we haven't touched on that you'd like to bring up? Um, it's it's not really it's not really like a deep thought provoking thing. But I'm just at the very end, as soon as when she left after the parents transformed back to the parents and they left the team park, you can you can tell like their time has there's a Pass of time, sort of like Narnia thing, because the car is covered yeah. in all the leaves. In the yeah. beginning of the film, she they're they're moving to a new place. So at, when I on this recently watched, I was just thinking, what happened to the movers? Because what, what happened <laughs> to all that situation? Like they're moving. Pretty sure the dad has a job. Well, there's a pass of time, they haven't returned. So um yeah, what what happened there? Yeah, Miyazaki, we want the logistics. What is yeah. happening? You've got plot holes, tell us. <laughs> No, absolutely, because um, we haven't touched on it much, but the parents are definitely, like, affected as well. So we see them being greedy at the start and being mm. turned into pigs because they're eating the food and whatnot. So that's also interesting, the parents remembering who they are as well. It's a big part of remembering, uh, memory and identity, just those overarching themes that we've been touching on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Albert, thank you so much for coming on today and talking about Spirit Away. This is absolutely amazing. Thank you, thank you for having me on. It's been it's been a pleasure. I'm sure uh, I'm pretty sure we missed some stuff because again, like you said, this film is so deep. But I'm glad we could we could talk it out and yeah, just share share the love for this film. And I'm pretty it's it's gonna be rewatchable for years to come. It's it's the highest grossing film in Japan for a re, for a, well, it it just got beaten, but it was the highest grossing film in Japan for a reason, just because it resonates with everyone and just outside of Japan too. It's just a great film, timeless coming of age story. Oh, beautifully said. And we will see you all next time. And when you come to the end, <laughs> stop. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Doing Disney. Make sure you follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Doing Disney Podcast and Twitter at Doing Disney Pod. 